Welcome to The Kimbretta Show, where all things lead back to how to be the best leader of you. Each of our conversations encourage us to love, learn, and lead ourselves and others. Kimbretta is her name, and leadership is her thing. Get ready. It's time to grow. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to Kimbretta with the kicker and the chase. I am blessing you guys with yet another mini pod, an excerpt from my book, Bosses Who Kill, available everywhere books are sold. And today we are going to talk about the micromanager. I'm positive each and every one of you listening to the sound of my voice has encountered a micromanager at least once right so let's go ahead and dive in to today's mini you're with Kimbretta and we're about to punch in it's time to go to work all right we're all punched in we're ready to go to work the micromanager I reference this chapter in my book as thou shall not suffocate a subordinate comparing the type of serial killer methods that the micromanager uses is similar to suffocation. Essentially, I open with this quote, a leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done, his aim fulfilled, they will say we did it ourselves. And that is by Lao Tzu. Yes, that really does sum it up. I, I love that quote. If you guys have been following me for a while, you know that I'm a quotaholic. So let's go ahead and in this punch in kind of just introduce, uh, you know, just a, an overview of what that micromanager looks like. Right. So the micromanager is probably the most infamous of all bad bosses. Their habits are vivid all too common, and they leave no one exempt. A CEO can be micromanaged by the investors. A manager can be micromanaged by his boss. An employee could even micromanage another employee. This killer is highly contagious and extremely dangerous. The killer is, I mean, basically full of excuses, full of excuses. They have a bag of them, right, for such torture And they can sound pretty convincing to the untrained ear. The reality is that they suffocate and they know it and they tend to believe that it's a necessary evil. The most frequent motivations for micromanagement are emotional insecurity, doubts regarding employees' competence and or abilities, or addiction to specific order. And I'm going to just take a small detour and make a confession that of all the six uh, leadership, uh, toxic leadership behaviors that I write about in my book, Bosses Who Kill, if I had to find myself um, in one of these toxic behaviors, it would probably be the micromanager because I'm of that latter description that I just mentioned, mean being addicted to a specific order like I truly do deal with that obsessive compulsive you know um, disorder um, in a sense that things have to be structured and organized in a certain way thankfully because I believe in um, being approachable employees that I've managed in the past have been able to bring this to my attention and I need that 
I need it. I need you to say, Kim, you're doing it again, right? Um, so that I can do a self-check real quick, shake myself. Um, because the truth is I could easily do this, not in the because I don't trust that they can do the job, but because I like things done a certain way. So this is why it is so important that before you step into leadership roles, you really come to know who you are as a person, the good and the bad. Because then you need to understand um, how to introduce yourself, how to um, find accountability partners. I've always allowed my team to be my accountability, like call me out on it if I'm doing it. Here's who I am. Here's where I tend to uh, have challenges. Call me out on it. Help me because I don't want to unknowingly be abusing you, right? So that's why it is so critical, again, that you know yourself before you get yourself into managing people. So that's like a high-level intro of the micromanager and a (laughs) unprompted, spontaneous uh, confession from myself. But let's go ahead and break it down so that we can peel back the layers of some of the basic sins of this particular toxic leader, the micromanager. It is time for... A break, and I don't mean go anywhere, baby. We're about to break it down, okay? All right, welcome back to the break, break, break down. All right, so we're talking about the micromanager today, and I want to go ahead and introduce to you some of the basic sins of the micromanager. And again, if you have not um, read my book, I'm, I'm working on an audiobook now if you're into that. But if you had not read my book, um, pick it up. It gives so much more nuggets. I'm just taking high level excerpts, excerpts, excuse me, from it to give you guys something quick you can listen to on the way to work or on your lunch break um, in hopes that if you're a leader and you find yourself in this particular personality, um, toxic boss personality, you will do what you need to do to fix it. And if you're someone who reports to them, well, you get some tools, right? And, and so a lot of that is in this book that I won't be going over in this mini. So the five basic sins of the micromanager. One, monitoring too closely. Bosses who physically or virtually check in with you throughout the day regarding status updates. This is also revealed by bosses who request end of day or week recaps of what you've accomplished. They will make it seem like some of them, because they're too cowardly to say that this is just who they are, they'll say, oh, my boss is asking for this, right? They'll kind of pass the blame off on someone else when it's really them who wants you to ping them all day, send them end-of-day recaps, send the reports showing what you've done because they're insecure. They don't trust you, right? They don't trust you to do the job or they're insecure about you getting it done and them getting the accolades that comes with that. Number two, basic sin of the micromanager, intervening too much. You can see this one in a leader when they want to proofread everything before submission or altogether overstep you and sometimes do the job themselves. Intervene too much. That is something a micromanager does. And it's a sin. It's a sin. Basic sin number three of the micromanager. Setting too many priorities simultaneously. When you're dealing with a micromanager, everything is urgent. Everything is urgent with this bad boss. They'll give you five projects all with the same due date and expect high quality on each one. It's I don't care about what's fair or not. It is unfair. I'm going to use that term. It is unfair. It's unrealistic. If we are really about quality, then you, you would know before you even do that that this is not a good idea. 
Fourth basic sin of the micromanager. Discussing things to death. Meeting after meeting after meeting. Followed by a follow-up email about the meeting. Onward to setting a new meeting about following up about the meeting at the meeting of the meeting. (laughs) You get my drift? Discussing things to death. Leave time to get work done. Make sure your meetings are meaningful, right? And productive and not repetitive or redundant. It's a better word. Fifth and final basic sin that I list in my book regarding the micromanager. Suffocating employees, thereby hindering their growth. This is the primary lethal behavior of the micromanager. They won't let up. They won't give you space. They demand complete control. What is there left for an employee to do when a boss doesn't give them an opportunity to do anything because they're all the way over them? They can't even breathe, right? A micromanager, and just really delving into uh, some, adding some color, if you will, to the characteristics of the micromanager. A micromanager will stay on top of you until you pass out, die, or become obsolete. They refuse to let up. You will either die voluntarily by leaving the situation or you'll die a miserable, emotional, ambitionless death. <laughs> Look at me throwing all these adjectives in there, right? Wherein you show up and function in a robotic manner. You're no longer concerned with the quality or quantity of your work, inner office relationships, and sometimes even your appearance. You micromanagers could beat people down so bad that they are not even themselves anymore. They're literally walking zombies. They've really passed away essentially, emotionally, mentally, you know, spiritually, and everything. These boss types are usually irritated when a subordinate makes decisions without consulting them, even if the decisions are within the subordinate's level of authority. Like they they got to be in charge of everything, know everything, do everything, be on top of everything, right? They even do things that they even suffer from what I call reportositis disease, okay? Just report after report after report. Got to have a report about this, a report about that, report, report. okay. Listen, there is a place in the professional setting in your job for reports where they are good because they help us see how well we are performing as a unit and where we need to improve. But when you have leaders who are asking you for reports that um, are combination a combination of just basically what you've accomplished for the day or for the week that's when you're looking at micromanager stuff we should use reports to help drive um smart and intelligent change to help show us where motivation and inspiration needs to be implemented you know not to tell us what we did for the day like you shouldn't even be hiring people first of all or keeping people that may have been hired before you got there that you can't even trust to get the job done day to day. That's not anything you need to be managing. Those fruits should speak for themselves in something called results, results, right? The results that you're seeing. So although micromanagement is often easily recognized by employees, micromanagers rarely view themselves as such. 
Micromanagers will often rebut allegations of their stalking antics by offering a more liquefied language to characterize their management styles, such as structured or I'm hands-on. Now, you're a micromanager, you're a serial killer, you're toxic, you're a bad boss. That's what you are, right? And there's no way to color that up or make it anything other than what it really is. You know, one of my um, favorite authors who authors who talks about leadership, I think it was Peter Drucker, Drucker, he said, so much of what we call management consists of making it difficult for people to work. And I could not be more agreeable to that quote. They call themselves manager and all they do is run around making it hard for people to get the darn job done. And it really is sickening. And it's time that we make some changes in that. So let's go ahead. It's time to go home for the kicker and the chase. And let's talk about what the fix might look like. What does ideals for resolve look like? What questions do we need to ask ourselves in order to start the process, right, to become a non-micromanaging boss if you found yourself there? So it's time for the kicker and the chase. It's still your girl, Kimbretta, right here with you, and we're getting ready to go home, guys. All right, let's kick it and let's chase it. Yes. So what does the fix look like? We're talking about that micromanager, that toxic leader, right? An excerpt from my book, Bosses Who Kill. Um, Severe forms of micromanagement can truly stifle opportunities for learning, and development of interpersonal skills, it will completely eliminate trust within your your team and organization and even provoke antisocial behavior. People will become very standoffish, okay, because they're sick of it. They don't want to deal with you, right? As leaders, we have to ask ourselves, is there anything, any quota, any goal, any task worth putting the mental and physical health of our employees at, at risk? I mean, is there? Okay, and we're not talking about the level of stress that most jobs come with. Every job has a certain level of stress connected to it. You know, stress is not completely dangerous until it becomes so uh, repetitive and it goes unchecked and you don't know how to do things that help relieve stress, right? So we're not sitting here whining like, oh, we shouldn't expect some stress on a job. But as leaders, we shouldn't be the ones causing it based upon our leadership style. Makes sense? We all know the power of the word of the mouth. It's unstoppable. It just travels and travels and it gets worse the farther it travels, right? Ultimately, this damages a company's reputation, which then feeds the insecurity among the management within the company, thereby prompting further micromanaging antics among managers who use it to cope with their insecurities, perpetrating, perpetrating, excuse me, a vicious cycle So I want to ask you guys who are listening, who is going to set the new standard? Who has the bravery to innovate a new standard? When will this type of murder within the workplace stop? Well, I am a part of the solution. I've spent all, I mean, years just embodying leadership, breathing leadership, studying leadership, researching leadership. 
I have a natural passion towards it. I want to come in and be invited into companies to train your leadership staff on how to be a leader who builds and not a leader who kills. This is ultimately what all of this is about. See my face in in your book aisle on this book. You you hear me on this podcast. If you check out my website, if you read a blog that I wrote, everything I'm doing is about making sure that collectively as leaders across every sector, whether it be leaders in your home, as parents, as spouses, Houses, leaders in school, as teachers, professors, leaders at work, as uh, managers, supervisors, chiefs, lieutenants, whatever. Everything I'm doing is about hoping that you guys resonate, that what I'm doing and what I say and my perspective resonates with you in a way that you say, hey, Kim, Bretta, could you come here? Could you do a workshop? Could you come here? Could you train us? Could you help us? We don't want this. We've seen the things that you're talking about in our in our leadership model, and we don't want it. We want to be better leaders, and I believe leaders can be trained up. But I also believe there are, isn't such thing as just bad, bad, bad apples. They're bad to their core because of their personal beliefs that pretty much uh, block them from being a great leader. And as the people who employ these people, you have to be willing to cut ties with bad apples. And you have to be willing to invest in the people that can be trained, that can be better, and that want to be better. So here are some guidelines Finishing out here on the chase, right? We've got the kicker, right? We get it. Micromanagers are real. They exist. They're toxic. So here are some guidelines that you should follow if you found yourself here. Be transparent. If you are a micromanager, let your people know you know that. (laughs) Let me say that again. If you're a micromanager and you've heard yourself any of these basic sin descriptions or characteristics I've talked about, let your people know you know that. That's what I did. I was like, look, I struggle. Let them know you know that. Assure them that you're working on it and that your intentions are positive. Let me tell you some transparency, honesty. It goes so far. People will give you so much grace. You increase their tolerance level immediately by another 50% just by being transparent about what you are struggling with. It doesn't mean they're going to undermine you. People need that, right? The employee-boss relationship, it should be just that, a relationship, not a dictatorship. Guideline number two, fall back. You have to give your people an opportunity to perform. If they miss the mark, you get the opportunity to coach them up. That's how this works. You don't suffocate them in hopes of preventing them from missing the mark. You let them do what they've been trained to do. And if they miss the mark, you jump in at being the great leader that you're becoming and you coach them up and get them to where they need to be. Number three, don't be afraid to let your employees fail, right? Learning from mistakes builds confidence. It develops maturity. It reveals an individual's level of commitment to their job. And that's something as a leader you need to see. But if you are suffocating them to death, you won't. And the vicious cycle continues, yeah? Guideline number four. For day-to-day management, define performance metrics based on core priorities and measure those only. Ignore everything else. Save the other stuff for your monthly one-on-one meetings, team meetings, whatever you do. Last guideline, recognize and reward. When someone does something right, smart, or good, let them know. Share it with the team and find some way to reward them. And rewards don't always look like money, right? And they don't always look like lunch either. You got to be creative, 
find ways to recognize and reward the people that are doing the right stuff because it gives them the fuel they need to continue being great at what they do. I'm going to end with this quote here. The best executive is the one who has sense enough to pick good men to do what he wants done and the self-restraint enough to keep from meddling with them while they do it. Theodore Roosevelt. It's been real. So glad you stayed and tuned in to this mini pod. The micromanager can't wait to see you back. Remember podcasts drop weekly on Mondays and I am loving you for loving me. You know what to do next. Share, share, share. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Remember, love, learn, lead, and then repeat. I'm your favorite leader, Kimbretta, boss babe, and your next best decision. Call me. I love y'all. Thank you so much for listening, watching, and sharing. Follow me on all social media platforms at Kimbretta. K-I-M-B is in beautiful. R-E-T-T-A. Follow me also and listen to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. See you soon.